Wrestling fans, are you ready? Yes! 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 For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, uh, let's get ready to rumble! I am the voice of the voiceless. Do I have everybody's attention now? Sorry about your damn luck. I deserve one more match. It's going to be the end of the world as you know it. Welcome back, folks, to WrestleRant Radio for June 10th, 2014. I'm your host and Bleacher Report featured columnist Graham GSM Matthews. Um, we've got a Raw review set up for today for June 9th of last night, 2014, as well as predictions for this Sunday's TNA Slammiversary pay-per-view, which a lot of people don't probably even remember is happening. But uh, nevertheless, we got predictions for that. Hope you guys are having a great week. And um, yeah, really nothing much else going on in the world of wrestling right now. Just Raw, TNA Slammiversary, if you can even count that. But we got Money in the Bank at later this month on June 30th. I will be attending Raw on June 30th, I'm sorry. The Money in the Bank pay-per-view is on June 29th. So there's that to look forward to. The summer season of wrestling is off to a slow start. But with the Shield splitting up and all that kind of stuff going on right now in the WWE... It should be an exciting summer, or so we can hope. So, I'll get right into it. Monday Night Raw review for June 9th, 2014. Um, I was unable to watch the show live last night. I was at work. I watched it later in the night on my computer. Fell asleep watching it like halfway through, so that just kind of goes to show how boring the show was. There were some newsworthy segments when, in which I will get into, but um, overall, it really wasn't all that great of a show. None, none of the Raws in recent memory have been. But um, even still, hopefully it heats up after Money in the Bank, but we all said the same thing um, prior to payback. So we can only hope that things start to heat up in due time. It wasn't a bad show by any means, but overall it really wasn't the most exciting show. I finished watching it this past morning, um, but nevertheless gets it right into it. Uh, it was teased going into the show that the Authority would have a blockbuster announcement. And of course, rumor had broke, and the news had broke earlier on in the day on the dirt sheets and whatnot. That Daniel Bryan's surgery had not been going as planned. Uh, he had not been rehabilitating as well as people had hoped. And he would not be able to perform at the Money in the Bank pay-per-view later this month. And therefore have to be stripped of the, of the WWE World Heavyweight Championship. So that was of course the announcement that kicked off Raw at the hands of the Authority Triple H and Stephanie McMahon. Announcing that Daniel Bryan had been officially stripped of the WWE World Heavyweight title. Brie Bella had quit for nothing, which was pretty comical and that the new WWE World Heavyweight Champion would be crowned at the Money in the Bank pay-per-view later this month and the Money in the Bank ladder match for the very first time. So that's really cool. Um, we might not be getting a Money in the Bank ladder match briefcase matchup this year. It remains to be seen. The rumor has been that, that we will get two Money in the Bank ladder matches, one to crown a new champion and one to crown a new Mr. Money in the Bank in the briefcase and the future title shot. It remains to be seen. I would hope that we get two ladder matches, but even if we get one, the fact that one of them is going to be crowning a new champion is pretty freaking awesome. It kind of contradicts the fact that it's a Money in the Bank ladder match, since it's not really for the briefcase, it's just a six-man ladder match. But nevertheless, I like the concept. Um, in terms of Daniel Bryan being stripped of the WWE World Heavyweight title, I didn't think it would be done. Um, I said that last week on the show, but um, if only because I thought he'd be back sooner rather than later. Of course, his health is the most important thing, so it's good that he's being stripped of the title. I would hate to see him back too soon and risk re-aggravating the injury, so it's probably the best course of action right now to strip him of the World Heavyweight Championship. He can always win it back, but what my biggest concern was a number of weeks ago was that he won it in such a great fashion at WrestleMania 30 against the Authority, against Evolution, the main event of WrestleMania, the biggest show of the year, that when he does eventually win it back at SummerSlam or maybe later down the line, if he was to win it back, and I'm pretty sure he would, that it just wouldn't feel as great. It wouldn't feel as big of a moment as it did at WrestleMania. But that's just nitpicking things. I'm not saying at all that I would have wanted him to come back earlier than expected just to compete at Money in the Bank in a 
what, a stretcher match with Kane? That's not worth it. I'd much rather see him strip the championship, get a new champion. He can chase the title. We can chase the title, which some people arguably, and which is true, um, that he was better in that role anyway going into WrestleMania when he was contending for the championship and was not defending the championship. So we can wait and see as to whether that is accurate or not. But if you really evaluate the title reign of Daniel Bryan, a lot of it is not his fault. He had a very good title defense against Kane at the Extreme Rules pay-per-view last month. or was it, Yeah, it was last month. But aside from that, he didn't do much. He was off Raw a number of times for the surgery, for his wedding, for when his father passed away. His, Kane, his feud with Kane was mediocre at best. The matches that he had with Kane were good. He had that very good match with Kane, but the feud itself was not really all that good. And his father had passed away. He had gotten married, so he had to take time off for both of those things. So just a lot of stuff overshadowing Daniel Bryan right now or during the course of his title reign. So his reign didn't really pan out the way that a lot of people, myself included, had hoped it would. Which is unfortunate, but like I said before, it's not his fault. It's just the way the cookie crumbles sometimes. It was just the way things happened. Everything happens for a reason, but the fact that this stuff happened during the course of his title reign, it was just terrible timing. It sucks. The neck surgery, of course, is a terrible thing. But um, as long as he gets back to the ring at 100%, that's the most important thing. Like I said before, I would hate to see him back in the ring at 70-80% and have his neck still hurting him rather than him coming back at a later date when he is 100% and ready to go. Because like I said before, I would hate to see him re-aggravate that neck injury and have it get worse and possibly even retire, much like Edge did to a similar neck injury back in 2011. So that being said... Um, I'm content with the stripping of the championship of Daniel Bryan. That's fine. He'll, he can win it back later down the line. But to crown a new champion, seven people will compete in that Money in the Bank ladder match for the WWE World Heavyweight Championship. Which of those men will emerge victorious? Right now, there's really no clear favorite. Of the four people in the match right now, we've got Randy Orton, who was just given a spot by the authority, um, given his association with them, just because... For quote, he is who he is, so he, I guess, earned his way into the matchup, but that's storyline reasons, so I'm fine with that. Randy Orton, Del Rio qualified last week. We've also got, um, who else do we have in the matchup? Sheamus, United States champion, as well as Cesaro. So those four men are so far confirmed for the WWE World Heavyweight Championship Money in the Bank ladder match in three weeks at the Money in the Bank pay-per-view. Three, me three more people will be uh, announced for the matchup will qualify in coming weeks. Whether it be on SmackDown or next week's Raw remains to be seen. But um, either way, those are the four people so far confirmed for the matchup. Of those four people, we'll break it down in terms of who and who can't win the matchup. Del Rio, least likely of those four to win the matchup, hasn't been doing anything since he dropped the World Heavyweight Championship last year at the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view to John Cena. Hasn't done anything of note. Basically, hasn't done anything at all since he dropped the championship, so no way he's winning that. We've also got Randy Orton. It's cool that Randy Orton's in the matchup. It makes sense. I was hoping that we would get Orton and Rollins versus the uh, what's remaining of the Shield, what's left of the Shield, Seth Rollins, or uh, Dean Ambrose and Roman Reigns, but I guess that is no longer a possibility with Randy Orton being in the Money in the Bank ladder match. And it's also very possible that the final three spots in the ladder match could go to Ambrose and Reigns, um, which would be pretty cool, as well as Rollins. So that'd be an awesome way to utilize all three of those guys instead of doing a, a triple threat at the Money in the Bank pay-per-view, which I want to see at some point, just not this soon, or an Ambrose versus um, an, an Ambrose versus Rollins match or a Reigns versus Rollins match. Just do, just put them all three of them in that Money in the Bank championship matchup. And then I wouldn't put the title on Rollins right now. Maybe you give it to someone else, but that would be pretty cool. But yeah, in terms of Orton, going back to him, um, I don't want to see him back with the championship, nor do I think he will win it. He, if only because he held the championship. He held the WWE title from October to April, and in those six months, he didn't do jack shit. He defended the title a, 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 a number of times, but none of, none of those reigns were really, none of those title defenses were really all that memorable. And if they were memorable, not for the best reasons. Um, his match against Big Show was complete bullshit at Survivor Series. He had a good match with John Cena at TLC, I'll give him that much. He became the Undisputed Champion. 
a decent match with Cena at the Royal Rumble pay-per-view, which will only be remembered for the chance from the live crowd in attendance. So we had that that night, the Elimination Chamber matchup, which was really good until the interference from Kane and the Wyatt family, which was bullshit. And then his match at WrestleMania, and that was pretty much it. I think his Elimination Chamber matchup was the last match that Randy Orton had won. Um, not counting that tag team match against the Road Brothers last week on Raw. If you don't count that, the Elimination Chamber match was the last match won by Randy Orton. That was four months ago, people. Absolutely ridiculous for a top guy in WWE. But they haven't even played up the fact he's on a losing streak. But anyway, so there's that. So yeah, his reign was complete bullshit. It was completely overshadowed by the authority and everything else going on at the time. So... Yeah, no, I don't think it's a, the best idea to put the championship back on Randy Orton, or at least this soon. So in terms of the other two competitors, we have the United States champion, Sheamus. Um, it's a tricky one. I would rather have him not win the briefcase or win the championship right now because uh, he is United States champion. So it would be a little weird to have him hold two championships at the same time. And he just won the title a month ago, so... He should fully focus on holding on to the United States Championship, making that prestigious, defending that, instilling more prestige back in the Star Spangled Prize before setting his sights back on the WWE World WWE Championship. So Sheamus, I wouldn't think so. It, it is possible. I'm not going to completely rule it out because it was rumored a number of months ago that Sheamus was, was supposed to face Daniel Bryan at WrestleMania 30, but that was scratched when CM Punk quit and all that kind of stuff. So... I wouldn't rule out the possibility of Sheamus versus Daniel Bryan at SummerSlam for the WWE World Heavyweight title. Maybe not even at SummerSlam, maybe later down the line, but in a great way to turn Sheamus heel too. But I don't see him holding both the U.S. and WWE titles at the same time, so he's not my pick right now. Of those four guys, I would have to go with Cesaro. He's done an absolute role right now, has been since WrestleMania. When he won the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal, he had that awesome matchup at Extreme Rules, that triple threat match where he beat RVD and Jack Swagger. And had another great match against Sheamus at Payback. So, um, he's been on a roll right now as the latest Paul Heyman guy. I don't see him. Uh, it's, it's really hard to say. I, don't, I, I can't see him with the WWE World Heavyweight title. I could see him with the briefcase. I could see him with the WWE title, World Heavyweight Championship, whatever the hell you want to call it. I could see him with the future title shot at, at, at a future date, at a later time, um, to cash in that briefcase and become champion. I just can't see Cesaro as champion right now. It would be awesome. And of those four guys, he's my pick to win it. But I don't know. It's just really hard to imagine Cesaro as WWE World Heavyweight Champion at this point in time. But of those four guys, he's the one being pushed right now to have the most, uh, the, the most of those four guys. He's being pushed the, the uh, most heavily. So I would have to go with him. He's been on an absolute roll since becoming a Paul Heyman guy. So of those four people, I got Cesaro. Maybe my pick will change once we find out the, uh, the next three people to qualify. But, yep, those are my uh, picks for Money in the Bank in coming weeks. I got my money on Cesaro and becoming the WWE World Heavyweight Champion. So those four people so far confirmed. Three more people to be named in the Money in the Bank ladder match in coming weeks. Maybe this week on SmackDown. Maybe next week on Raw. It remains to be seen, but that being said, like I mentioned before, Sheamus had qualified for the Money in the Bank ladder match later this month at the pay-per-view. We had a very good matchup between the two to kick off the show between Sheamus and Bad News Barrett. Champion versus champion matchup, U.S. champion versus Intercontinental champion, winner to advance to the Money in the Bank ladder match for the WWE World Heavyweight Championship. These two have always had awesome matches, no surprise there, great chemistry between the two. Really enjoyed their matchup to kick off the show. Technically, it wasn't; it didn't kick off the show because we had the opening segment from The Authority. But for the opening matchup, it was very, very good. No shortage of excellence from both of these guys. Always love matches when they ever face off. Um, it's just a shame that we have yet to get a real one-on-one -on -one feud between the two. Um, hopefully that comes later down the line, either between either for one of the mid-card championships or one of the world championships. Um, it should be coming later down the line. That would be an excellent matchup for a world title between Sheamus and Barrett down the line. But a great matchup to kick off the show. Sheamus advanced and to the Money in the Bank ladder match for the WWE World Heavyweight title. Bad news, Barrett, since he did not advance to the Money in the Bank ladder match, which is a shame. I thought he'd be a perfect fit for the matchup since he was one of my likely candidates to win the briefcase this year or since that matchup is for the championship. And like I mentioned before, it still remains to be seen as to whether 
we are going to get a second ladder match at the pay-per-view for a future title shot and not the championship itself. And if that matchup does come to fruition, we could very well see Barrett inserted into that matchup and become Mr. Money in the Bank. It remains to be seen. But that would be pretty cool. As Intercontinental Champion, he should focus on instilling prestige in that belt, like I said with Sheamus before. But um, what he does at the pay-per-view, if there is not a second ladder match, maybe he defends the title against RVD again. Um, he could just have a title defense in general, but it looks like his feud with RVD is not yet done. He had a number of matches with RVD last week at Payback, Raw, SmackDown, Main Event, all over the championship. So we could see a rematch between them at the Money in the Bank pay-per-view. It remains to be seen, but either way, I would like to see Bad News Barrett at the pay-per-view in some form or fashion. Up next, we had Rusev against Zack Ryder in a rematch from the Memorial Day edition of Monday Night Raw. Pretty standard squash match, but right now it looks like that they got the complete focus on his manager, Lana, his mouthpiece. When her promos last longer than Rusev's matches, it's kind of a telling, uh, is very telling of the fact that Rusev is not the one that they're trying to push right now. Maybe it is, and they are trying to give him the Umaga-like build and being built up like a complete monster, and hopefully he isn't fed to John Cena within the next few months. Because if, if he is to lose to John Cena either at Battleground in July or SummerSlam in August or whatever it is, his momentum's gone. He loses, he's done, he's the next monster to become a joke, much like Umaga, Kali, Kozlov, you name them, they become jokes. So that being said, hopefully Rusev isn't put into a feud scene anytime soon. But going back to the task at hand here, um, it, it seems like Lana's the one that's getting more spotlight than Rusev. Her promos get longer and longer each week. And it is getting good heat on the act, but the fact they're just shoving this Rusev or the Russia Rusev thing right down our throats is very telling of the fact they really want him to get heat from the live crowds and being associated with Russia. But that being said, hopefully they put him in some sort of feud in the upcoming future. Not with someone like a John Cena, but it had been rumored last week that a feud with Mark Henry could be possible, which would be really cool. It would continue, and it's of course not intentional, but the running joke that Rusev is after African Americans after attacking Xavier Woods, R-Truth, Big E, and a few others that weren't black, but even still, but that was a running joke for a number of weeks. But uh, he can continue that by facing Mark Henry and feuding with him, going into Money in the Bank, and could give him a established victory over an established guy in Mark Henry, a former world champion, a former ECW champion, a veteran in the WWE, and a big guy. So for Rusev to defeat him and pick a victory up over him at the Money in the Bank pay-per-view would be pretty credible. Hopefully we see that at some point. Um, it, it'd be better than him squashing countless enhancement talents in guys like Heath Slater and Zack Ryder and others. And um, So to put him in a feud with Mark Henry would be pretty credible, so hopefully we see that come to fruition in the upcoming future. So we had that up next. We had Rybaxel, Curtis Axel, and Ryback against Goldust and R-Truth. And tag team action continuing the storyline of Cody Rhodes choosing the partners in tag team action for Goldust. This week he picked R-Truth. And it doesn't get any worse than that because, of course, they lost the matchup. Victory went to Rybaxel. It was in the hometown of Curtis Axel, but they didn't show the entrance of Rybaxel, which was pretty disappointing, but I guess since they're heels, they didn't want to show their entrance and have them get cheered. But either way, Rybaxel picked up the victory. After the matchup, Goldust and Cody Rhodes had a backstage segment in which Cody Rhodes told Goldust that next week partner for Goldust would magnify the magnificence uh, of Goldust, someone that he's never seen before or faced before. So it remains to be seen as to who he will pick as his partner, and that's probably the biggest selling point on this feud for a lot of people, and then it builds intrigue as to far as far as who is going to be picked next as Goldust's partner. Granted, if it's an enhancement talent every week, if it's like a Sin Cara and a Kofi and an R-Truth every week, then people will start to quickly lose interest. But if next week we get someone like a returning Evan Bourne or a returning superstar, whether it be someone contracted the company or not, they could get a very fun storyline out of this, which not only generates a surprise for every single week for who well, Goldust partner will be, but it also provides um, the furthering of the feud between Goldust and Cody Rhodes. It drags out the feud and that we can finally get the feud between those two and the match between those two at the Slammiversary pay-per-view, and not the Slammiversary pay-per-view, the SummerSlam pay-per-view in August 
dragging out the feud right before Goldust's contract expires, and we get the match between the, those two. Cody Rhodes goes over, Goldust uh, retires, all that kind of good stuff. But um, hopefully we don't get the matchup between those two at the Battleground pay-per-view in July. That'd be way too quickly. But um, the, the, the longer they drag this tag team thing out with Cody Rhodes saying that every match that Goldust loses in tag team action, that he was not the weak link after all Goldust was. So I like the storytelling. It's pretty cool. It's very clever. And uh, hopefully they drag it out long enough that we get a one-on-one matchup between Cody and Goldust at the SummerSlam pay-per-view. Regardless of whether Cody's face or heel, it doesn't really matter. As long as we get that one-on-one match that people have been begging for for years now, myself included. So hopefully we get that and at the SummerSlam pay-per-view as opposed to Battleground in July. So up next, we had 3MB being attacked and interrupted by Dean Ambrose and Roman Reigns, what's left of the Shield, just going absolutely apeshit, and all of Shield, on all of 3MB, Jinder, Jinder Mahal, Heath Slater, and Drew McIntyre, then cutting a promo on addressing Seth Rollins and his status with the group and what they're going to do to him and exact revenge, all that kind of stuff. This was the first appearance of Seth Rollins, or the first appearance of Ambrose and Reigns after they were attacked last week at the conclusion of last week's episode of Monday Night Raw. So it was a good way to bring them out. The crowd popped for it. Um, a vicious attack on 3MB, so it made them look aggressive. And the promos they cut were also both very good. Ambrose has always been a master of the mic. There's been no doubt about that since the day he arrived in WWE. Roman Reigns has been a little shaky at times, but this promo is very cool. Um, he, he comes off as a very cool guy in the ring and honest promos and stuff like that, but he cut a very good promo here. Roman Reigns and Ambrose addressing Seth Rollins. So that was that. Um, we would hear from Seth Rollins later on in the night. So a good segment to establish the that, that, that the Shield, or what's left of the Shield, is exacting revenge on Seth Rollins for turning his back on them and their brotherly bond and stuff like that. So... It served the purpose in that sense. Up next, we have the WWE Tag Team Champions, the Usos, in tag team action against Fandango and Damian Sandow. The matchup didn't last all that long. Fandango came out um, with Damian Sandow, and Damian Sandow came out as a dancer and leotards and stuff like that. And as dumb as the storyline has been with Damian Sandow in the whole switching of the gimmicks as D. Sizzle and uh, Sherlock Holmes and Davy Crockett, Lance Stevenson, and whatever else he's been doing over the last number of weeks, it's entertaining. I mean, I think this was probably the funniest impersonation he's done to date. So that's pretty cool. But um, So yeah, they quickly lost a tag team matchup. Win went to the WWE Tag Team Champs, the Usos. Not exactly sure what happened to the rivalry between the Usos and the Wyatt family. That seemed to start last week after the Wyatt family defeated the Usos. Maybe we get a tag team title match at Money in the Bank. I'm not really sure. That wasn't really hinted at last night at all. But um, even still, it was a fine match for what it was. Basic filler. With Damian Sandow, there's really no point in harpering on this as much as possible because I've already done that numerous times. But it's just kind of a waste of his talent. It's good that he's making the most of it and that he's making it entertaining. But the fact that it's that they're not doing anything better with him right now is disappointing. With Fandango, they didn't do anything with him notable here at all. They had a backstage segment with Summer Rae and Layla, with Summer Rae beating the crap out of Layla backstage and putting her through one, one table backstage in the backstage area and her pouring milk on her, which was kind of random. But um, So I don't know what the whole purpose of that is since they're both heels at the moment. I, don't, I couldn't care less about it personally, and I don't know who else does. But um, even still, it, it's a really odd feud. I'm not exactly sure what they're supposed to be doing with that. And when Layla came out with Fondangle for the tag match, Summer Rae didn't come out. She didn't make an appearance aside from her thing backstage with Layla. So not exactly sure what they're doing between those two. Couldn't care less anyway. But uh, at least it adds some intrigue, or I guess for some people, to the Divas division. It doesn't even tie in the total Divas either, and that's the most random part. Especially since Summer Rae wanted nothing to do with Fondango on Total Divas a number of weeks ago. Now, apparently, she wants to get back together with him. But whatever, that's that. We also had Bo Dallas in a squash match against Xavier Woods. That didn't last too long. That didn't last too long. Basic matchup that we've seen a, num- a number of times before. Bo Dallas went over. Xavier Woods, it's a shame because if you were a fan of his, uh, of his in his TNA days, as Consequences Creed, this guy is extremely talented. Former X Division champion, world tag team champion. He was over in TNA. I mean, being over in TNA and being over in WWE are two very different things. But he was an asset. He was a very big asset to TNA at the time before they let him go in 2010. And he signed with the WWE. 
and it was a shame to see him depart TNA, but I was very excited to see him in the WWE, and I was also very excited to see him debut on the WWE main roster last November, but they haven't done jack squat with him since. They paired him with R-Truth, which was cool in theory, but they never did anything with that tag team aside from making him a comedy duo, and now he's just been jobbing since he arrived on the scene on the main roster, after being over in NXT 2. So it really sucks, but hopefully they can do something more with Xavier Woods going forward as opposed to being an enhancement talent. Um, they had some backstage fallout video on YouTube with him discussing his loss or discussing his match to Bo Dallas, and he showed some signs of frustration and maybe hinting at a heel turn. So maybe that's one way to make him more ser- to take him more seriously as a competitor. But as we saw with guys like Titus O'Neil, Brodus Clay, Ryback, and whoever else has turned heel in the last year. It really serves no purpose because they never really got pushed. If anything, turning heel made them lose more television time. Brodus Clay we haven't seen in months on TV. Titus O'Neil as Mr. Thursday Night as he competes on WWE Superstars every single freaking week on the WWE Network. And loses almost every single time, so that serves no purpose. But um, I think turning, turning Xavier Woods heel probably wouldn't do anything for him. But um, it's really a shame, because the guy's talented, and to be utilized as an enhancement talent is a real waste of his talent. For Bo Dallas, he continues to get over nicely, but he too needs to be inserted into a substantial feud in the foreseeable future. With who, I have no idea. I don't want to see him go after the IC or US championships, but um, it would be nice to see him inserted in some sort of solid role as a mid-card guy in a feud with whoever, like a Big E, who he did feud with in NXT last year over the NXT Championship. But um, whoever it may be, hopefully he's inserted into a feud in the upcoming future. So we had that. Up next, we had another Money in the Bank qualifying matchup between Cesaro and Rob Van Dam. Cesaro went over. He advanced the Money in the Bank ladder match, as we established before. Cesaro, I think, is the early favor to win the Money in the Bank ladder match, or win the Money, or win the WWE World Heavyweight Championship later this month. Um, the matchup itself wasn't really all that good. We've had better matches between these two in the past, and at this point in the show, it was already maybe like halfway through or the second hour. I'm not really sure, but it really wasn't the best matchup that we've seen between these two, and they just don't have great chemistry. And I don't think it's RVD's fault. It wasn't Cesaro's fault. They just don't have the best chemistry with one another. The placement of the match later on in the night didn't do them any favors. So Cesaro was the right guy to go over, and I don't know what they do with RVD from here. But um, the matchup itself was really nothing all that good. Cesaro went over. I guess it's really all that matters. Um, up next after that, we had Michael Cole interviewing Seth Rollins to give um, as to, it gives him, give his incentive as to why he turned on the Shield last week at the conclusion of last week's Raw. He was basically talking about how he was the architect and the mastermind behind the Shield, and that's why they formed. It was because of him that Dean Ambrose was a madman and that Roman Reigns was a complete buffoon, and that without Seth Rollins, they'd be nothing, and that they are nothing without him currently, now that he's departed from them and uh, broken ties with them. So, that being said, I'm not exactly sure why he didn't address the fact why he aligned with Triple H. That's still a mystery as to why he aligned with Triple H. I mean, turning on the shield is one thing, but to align yourself with the guy that you were feuding with for two freaking months is another thing, so that made no sense. And hopefully they establish that at some point, but... In terms of the logic, it was okay at best, but they, at least they made an attempt to make it make sense out of it. But I think the biggest and best point of this segment was the fact that, one, they didn't have Seth Rollins go out there with Triple H and Randy Orton, have them do all the mic work for him, like we saw on SmackDown last week. He went out there alone, with Michael Cole, albeit, but even still, he did all the mic work himself in terms of his explanation. So the fact that creative or more so officials have faith in him as a singles guy on his own on the mic. It's pretty cool, and hopefully he can continue to improve over time. He's never been known to be the best mic guy, but um, he has improved since his debut on the main roster a year and a half ago, two years ago. So that's pretty cool, But and he will continue to improve over time. For But for what it was, this was a good promo from Rollins. And after he gave his two cents in the matter, outcome Dean Ambrose and Roman Reigns, but before they can get their hands on him. Out come the Wyatt family, Roman, or, uh, Luke Harper and Eric Rowan. A brawl ensues. They get the better of Ambrose and Reigns. Then out comes John Cena to make the save, setting up a six-man tag team match for the main event. So John Cena lining with the Shield was a pretty cool moment because I think it was the first time 
ever since the Shield debuted a year and a half ago that we've seen the two sides coexist. Because, of course, the Shield, um, the whole storyline was that Ambrose and Roman Reigns had to go out of their way to find a partner for their match against the Wyatt family later on in the night. And Triple H had mentioned that because they had severed all ties with everyone in the roster, on the roster and in the locker room, because they've attacked everyone since their debut, that they wouldn't be, on, they wouldn't be able to find a sixth man. And the commentators also made it a point to mention, or to go out of their way to mention and, and acknowledge the fact that John Cena only teamed up with them because he's against the Wyatt family. He wants to get his hands in the Wyatt family and not because he likes the Shield. So that's good logic and not completely throwing away of 18 months worth of storytelling. But um, there's that. So that was a good solid segment to hype up the main event and to build towards that. So we had that um, on that segment of that interview. We had Divas action up next with Paige defeating Alicia Fox. The match wasn't technically bad by any means. It wasn't terrible. But in the matches between Fox and Paige in recent weeks have been fine for what they've been. But the biggest issue with the matches that they've had in recent weeks is the fact that no one freaking cares. They have no story behind these matches at all. Paige continues to go over. And regardless of who goes over, it really doesn't matter. It's just the fact that we've really been given no incentive to care about Paige. Being a fan of Paige personally, I will continue to cheer her, but fans in general that weren't exposed or down in FCW or NXT have really no reason to care about her or her title reign. I mean, at least with AJ, she went through the, she went through the same thing, but at least she got mic time. Paige, I don't think since being promoted to the main roster, has gotten any mic time at all. I mean, at least on, on TV. She's had a few interviews here and there, like backstage fallout videos on YouTube and some stuff on the network and whatever else. But on Raw, on SmackDown, on main event, not even main event maybe, but Raw and SmackDown is really when it, where it matters, and she hasn't had any mic time at all. With Alicia Fox, her post-match meltdowns and stuff like that have really been the focal point of her act for the last number of weeks, and it's really starting to uh, grow tiresome. And it really showed, it, it, That really started to show here after she attacked her on-and-off friend, Oksana, and that was the thing, too, because before this matchup, um, the, the commentators were talking about how Oksana and Alicia Fox were good friends, and they beat Nikki Bella last week. And then after a one-week relationship, Alicia Fox just completely beat the crap out of Oksana afterwards by throwing popcorn in her face or whatever the hell she did. It was really random. But um, they didn't even build towards the moment, and because of that, no one cared. Not, no one cares about Oksana. No one cares about Fox. No one cares about Paige. So therefore... No one will care about the matchup. I mean, it's simple storytelling, and whoever whoever books the, the the women's stuff for NXT, hopefully the main roster guys can get a hold of them because whatever they're doing in NXT is miles better, light years better than whatever the hell they're doing with the divas, with the women on the main roster because they have no stories. The matches are okay, but the fact there's no background and no storytelling behind the matches will Allah make no one care. So they have to have some sort of story in their feud going forward. Hopefully AJ comes back sooner rather than later, because right now no one gives two craps about Paige or her title reign. She gets good reactions, there's that, but there's a difference between being over and having, you know, being a good champion and having a good title reign. So hopefully they can rectify that in the upcoming future, because it's really a shame that they're not doing more with Paige or giving them more time and stuff like that, but... That was that. We had Jack Swagger against Santino Morella up next. Pretty filler matchup. Jack Swagger went over. He seemed to be struggling against Santino at some points. But after a slap from Zeb Coulter at ringside, Jack Swagger got fired up. And, uh, yeah, so he went over. That was a pretty basic matchup. Jack Swagger really has nothing to do right now after his feud with Adam Rose concluded last week on Raw. So that was that. But um, what they do with him from here, I have really have no idea. Some people are pitching the idea of him turning babyface to feud with Rusev, which would, which would be really cool if only because John Cena is like the epitome of the U.S., the all-American hero, stuff like that. But in a feud with Rusev, in a feud with Cena, you know that Rusev is just going to get quickly buried and quickly overshadowed and lose and lose any credibility that he had, any, that he's built up to this point. So that would be completely pointless. At least with a feud with Jack Swagger, who hasn't meant anything in years, at least a win over Jack Swagger would make Rusev credible, because Rusev or uh, Swagger is a former world champion, and we know that Jack Swagger wouldn't quickly dispose of Rusev. And he was to get a win over Rusev, it would mean something because he's an all-American guy, but he wouldn't quote-unquote bury him 
because he's not on the level of John Cena. Jack Swagger is a guy that you can beat, have it mean something, and have not have Jack Swagger not uh, completely bury whoever his opponent is. So that being said, hopefully we get that at some point, a Rusev and Jack Swagger feud. But um, anyway, Jack Swagger-Santino, complete filler matchup, really didn't do anything for the average viewer. And um, I don't know what story they're trying to, trying to tell with Zeb Coulter and Jack Swagger, but via the slap at ringside, probably, I don't know, just to kill some time and make it some more make it more interesting. But, yeah, so there was that squash match, and after that concluded, we had the main event between John Cena, Dean Ambrose, and Roman Reigns against the Wyatt family, Luke Harper, Eric Rowan, and Bree Wyatt. So a real solid six-man tag team ma- match main event. Um, had no idea that this match ended up going over 20 minutes, which is really impressive for a Raw main event nowadays. We used to get matches over 20 minutes um, on numerous occasions last year between with matches involving Daniel Bryan and The Shield, but we really haven't seen many matches in recent memory go over 20 minutes. So the fact that this matchup did was a special treat for those in attendance and those watching at home. And it was really a good matchup. The Wyatt family always has solid matches. Cena and, it, and The Shield, you know, same thing. It didn't have that same meaningful spark behind it that the uh, Shield and Wyatt family matches did earlier on this year, the six-man tag team matches, which were absolutely mind-blowing, great stuff. At Elimination Chamber, on Raw, main event, all those four, all four of those matches were all great. But um, this matchup didn't feel the same. It didn't feel as meaningful. That's probably because John Cena was involved instead of Seth Rollins and the Shields and technically together at this point. But uh, even still, in terms of in-ring action, it was a great Raw main event. And the first time in many, many weeks in recent memory that we had a clean finish to go off the air, faces go over, sends the crowd home happy, and there was no brawl to end the show. That was it. Just after Cena, Ambrose, and Reigns went over, Triple H and Rollins were seen looking at a screen backstage. Um, watching it from backstage. So that was pretty much it. We didn't really have any incentive. We weren't really given an incentive to tune in next week. There was really no cliffhanger as there was last week. I mean, last week we had Rollins turn on the shield and this big cliffhanger going into next week's Raw. But with this week, and it's probably better because we've had so many brawls end the show for so long that it was a nice change of pace. But um, even so, it was something out of the ordinary. It was something better, something different. So that's good. But um, it was a nice, clean, straightforward way to go off the air. But um, it leaves a lot to speculate in terms of what they're going to do with what's left of the Shield going into Money in the Bank. What are they going to do with Rollins? Are they going to do Rollins versus Ambrose? Rollins versus Reigns? Are they going to do Cena versus Wyatt again? I surely hope not because we already got three matches out of those guys and they've already been feuding for five freaking months. And they've exhausted that feud to no end. So hopefully we don't get a continuation of that feud. And that's what really made me um, scared after seeing this matchup. But uh, even still, I could probably bet my money on Cena being involved in the Money in the Bank ladder match for the WWE World WWE title. If his promo last week was any indication. And that's fine. I mean, Cena hasn't been involved in the title picture for so long. But hopefully they don't make the mistake of putting the championship on him. Contending for the championship is one thing, but for Cena to win the championship for a freaking 15th time and come one step closer to breaking or tying Ric Flair's uh, record-setting 16 world title reigns is an atrocity. So hopefully they don't put the title back on Cena anytime soon, if ever again. They probably will, of course, but hopefully not anytime soon with Daniel Bryan being out for the foreseeable future. And the only the only positive to Cena winning back the championship anytime within the next few months is that we could get a rematch between him and Bryan at SummerSlam again, which was terrific last year, one of the best matches of 2013. So for them to do that again at SummerSlam for the championship would be great, and for Daniel Bryan to possibly go over once again. But um, aside from that, if that's not going to be the plan that they have for SummerSlam, then I would just go ahead and just not continue the feed between Cena and Wyatt and go ahead and not put the championship back on Cena this soon. But um, with Ambrose and Reigns, like I said before, I think the most likely course of action would be to put them in the Money in the Bank ladder match, as along with uh, along with Rollins. I think that'd be the best course of action. Um, it could get some, for some very entertaining spots. It could progress the feud between all three guys without having them go, you know, and blow off the one-on-one match so quickly. You can have the one-on-one matchup maybe at Battleground next month or SummerSlam. It really doesn't matter. But um, hopefully they don't blow it off and do it next weekend Raw, and they won't. But uh, we're at the Money in the Bank ladder match, but. It'd be a very good way of furthering the feud without having them 
come direct contact with one another. But um, having being the, having them involved in the same match would be pretty cool. So that was the main event. Overall, this episode of Raw really wasn't all that great. The only two newsworthy parts were the stripping of Daniel Bryan's WWE World Heavyweight Championship and the fact that a new champion will be crowned at the Money in the Bank pay-per-view in a couple weeks. And also, what else was newsworthy about the show? I think that was pretty much it. Uh, the, the Seth Rollins stuff, too. Um, the promo that he cut was also very good. That was the biggest selling point of last week's show. That was the only thing I could remember from last week's show was Seth Rollins turning on the shield, or in addition to Batista quitting. But um, So to, to have that carry over into this week's show and involve it in three different segments with Ambrose and Reigns cutting a promo on Rollins in the middle of the ring and then having Seth Rollins do his interview with Michael Cole and then the main event stuff. All that stuff was a good way to further the stuff within the Shield and to build interest in what's going to come next, going into Money in the Bank. But even so, though, um, that was probably the biggest highlight of the show. Anything involving the Shield was awesome. Everything else was just kind of filler. A lot of filler matches. Nothing was offensively terrible. Nothing uh, atrocious. But um, it was just really boring. I fell asleep watching. It was that bad. But um, And I wouldn't even call this a bad episode at all. It was just boring. And we really haven't gotten a musty episode of Raw in quite some time. So hopefully with the Shield splitting a lot of other stuff going on right now and a new champion being crowned um, at the Money in the Bank pay-per-view in less than three weeks, hopefully programming starts to heat up again. But like I said before, a lot of people said that after payback or said that before payback that it would be happening after that show, and it has yet to happen. So we'll just have to wait and see. But Money in the Bank, three weeks away, looking forward to that. The only match confirmed so far for the show is that WWE World Heavyweight title Money in the Bank ladder match. So that should be awesome. Three more people to be confirmed as contestants for that ladder match. Either this week on SmackDown or maybe next week on Raw. We'll have to wait and see. But that was Raw. On to the TNA Slammiversary prediction for this Sunday. It's going to be airing live from Arlington, Texas. I could have sworn they were in Texas for a lockdown event or... Maybe it wasn't, lo- I don't know if it was lockdown last year, or maybe it was, uh, no, they were in Miami. No, that was Miami this year. I don't know. They were in Arlington, Texas, maybe in, uh, I think two years ago for Slammiversary. Maybe that's what it was. Maybe last year. I have no idea. But they'll be back there this year. Um, TNA, it's no surprise. They have not been doing all that well in recent weeks, in the last few months, that are, uh, that, uh, to be quite honest with you. It's just the last episodes, the last few episodes of Impact really haven't been all that great. If anything, been pretty bad, but... And a lot of people just don't care to see Slammiversary. We really have no reason to watch the show. Um, because looking at the card right now, there really aren't many matches that I give two craps about. They really haven't done all that good of a job in building up this show to be must-see and to be entertaining. As of right now, I think only only a few matches have, have been confirmed for the show, but a, a lot of them they haven't even mentioned on TV, which is really strange. But um, that being said, though, we got Slammiversary on Sunday... Lockdown, I completely forgot was even happening. I didn't even bother watching that show live, and I'm glad I didn't. It really wasn't that great of a show. But um, And then with Sacrifice, that was a good show, but it, it was forgettable. I mean, it was extremely predictable, forgettable. Two months later, no one remembers a thing about it, or a month later, whenever it was. But even still, though, Slammiversary is supposed to be their second biggest show of the year next to Bound for Glory. And as of right now, I just don't care about it at all. Slammiversary has been solid and good to great to awesome the last number of years. Um, to some, the show of the year. And, and 2011, 2012, and 2013. I would like to hope that the same will be said for this year's installment, but I'm not holding my breath. Because given the fact that the build-up has not been all that good, um, I mean, the, sh- the matches themselves could deliver, but the build-up has been so shitty that no one has any reason to care about the show at all. And, I mean, buy rates aren't really a problem with TNA. No one's, buys their, no one's buying their crap anyway, for the most part. The same people who continue to buy the shows, who have been buying TNA pay-per-views for years upon years, will continue to buy the shows. And new people who have been, you know, have been etched into their head that the show is, or that the company's complete crap will not buy the shows. I'm not buying the show. I couldn't give two craps about it. And if I have something better to do, I won't watch it. But um, hopefully the matches will deliver. So here are my predictions for the show. Willow versus Magnus. I don't even know why we're getting this matchup on the show because we've seen this God knows how many times in the last number of months. We even had a freaking Falls Count Anywhere matchup on Impact. So you're telling me we're going to get for free a Falls Count Anywhere matchup between two of the company's biggest stars in Willow, a.k.a. Jeff Hardy, and Magnus 
but we're going to get the standard matchup between the two on pay-per-view? It's just ass-backwards booking, and it makes no sense at all to even... It makes no sense whatsoever, but that being said, uh, the matches that they've had have been decent. They just get no time, so you don't know how good the matches can be. Magnus has been really strange lately. I mean, I guess he went full-fledged heel a couple weeks ago when he aligned himself with Bram, showing his aggressive side. He's been on a massive massive losing streak. And the only way to make people take him seriously again is for him to win here. Willow has been a complete frickin' joke. Jeff Hardy is the most over guy in the company. And for him to be put under a mask in this shitty-ass Willow gimmick makes no sense at all. Willow is complete asinine. Uh, It's a dumb gimmick. His mic skills suck. The whole gimmick sucks. No one likes it. So, I'm not a fan of it. I love Jeff Hardy, but the whole Willow thing is complete BS. I love Magnus, but he's been booked so freaking poorly since his heel turn a couple months ago that this whole match is a complete miss. So, Magnus, I put my money on him since they're trying to push him again, and if he loses, it's a joke. So, I'll go with Magnus, but I'm not holding my breath. Um, we've got the Von Eriks, the son of, I, I think, Kevin Von Erich, whoever's which one of them is still alive. His two sons are going to be competing on Sunday against a team to be announced. I guess it was advertised at one point, maybe in the local area or on the website or something, that the two opponents would be the bromance, um, Robbie E. and Jesse Goddard. Um, that wouldn't surprise me since there aren't many TNA tag teams right now. We only have, who do we have right now? The Wolves and the bromance. That's pretty much it with bad influence gone. So, it wouldn't surprise me at all if we get the bromance in that spot. So, easily the Von Erichs are going over. From what I read, the only reason why they're even doing this is because they want to bring in some new people and promote um, the Von Erichs since they're big in the Texas area. Maybe bring in some new fans to Slammiversary, boost the ticket sales, all that shit, whatever. Um, But I got the Von Erichs going over here, no doubt about it. Why would you even have them wrestle on the show if you're not going to have them... uh, if you're not going to have them win. So that made, that would make no sense. I don't think they have a contract with TNA. I think it's just a one-off thing. But uh, here's the issue with TNA. They tape all their goddamn shows so freaking early. They tape them all at once. They tape maybe five or six episodes. They tape every episode before Slammiversary in like early May. And because of that, whenever issues arise, whenever issues arrive like with MVP and his injury status, which I'll get to in a minute or stuff like this, they can't hype it on television. That was the problem with the lockdown pay-per-view. They had the great Muda wrestling, and T-Great Uno, and Sonata. They had all these great matches going into lockdown that were confirmed on the website, but they weren't given two seconds of hype on TV. It's not like they weren't given any build-up. They just weren't even advertised on the freaking television. They were going into the pay-per-view. TNA's booking is just so asinine. It makes me aggravated, but... They don't know how to promote their own product, and that's one of the problems. That's one of their biggest issues right now. That's one. Of, that's been one of their biggest issues for years. They don't know how to promote themselves, and it's because of shit like this, because they don't know how to promote the matches for the card, that no one's going to care about the matches when they're eventually happening on the show. So, anyway, going back to the task at hand, I digress. Von Erichs go over against whoever they face, more than likely the bromance. Um, Austin Aries against Kenny King. I would have loved to see this match a number of months ago, and we did get this matchup in like early October of last year, right before Bound for Glory, but then Kenny King disappeared from TV, and he didn't resurface until just a couple of months ago, and they're two former Ring of Honor stars. The matchup should be great. It brings back memories of Aries versus Samoa Joe from Slammiversary two years ago in the opening slot, a great matchup from the X Division Championship, but... And as great of a matchup this match could be, and this is just kind of the whole mantra for the entire pay-per-view, the action could be awesome, but the build-up has been such complete crap that no one gives two craps about who's going to win. Austin Aries has been so marginalized since he lost the TNA World Heavyweight Championship two months ago, or two years ago, I'm sorry. And Kenny King, I'm a fan of Kenny King, but he's been so over-the-top obnoxious lately. I mean, that's probably the way he should be acting, given the way he's a heel, but... He's not generating heel heat. He's generating go-away heat in the sense that I want to turn off my freaking television so I don't have to see this guy anymore. Kenny King is a very talented individual, but the way he's been booked has been so asinine that it makes no sense. But anyway, this matchup, Aries and Kenny King, should be good. 
Um, I've got Austin Aries going over here. If Kenny King wins, who cares? Like that's a lot of them. That's a lot of the issues with TNA right now. Like I couldn't care less who goes over. It doesn't matter who wins. The matchup could be very good, which I'm looking forward to. The action could be awesome, like I said before. But it doesn't matter who wins. Aries wins, okay. If Kenny King wins, okay. It's not even the step that if Kenny King wins, Aries is fired. It's not even something along those lines. And again, it goes back to the point. TNA does not even know how to promote their own product. They haven't hyped any of these matches. More than half of the matches on this card, and I got all these matches from the Wikipedia page for Slammiversary, and it's probably on their website too, but they have yet to be confirmed on TNA TV. So if you don't go on the website, if you don't read the dirt sheets or whatever, then you have no idea that any of these matches are even happening. So that's the biggest problem with TNA right now. And that leads into the next matchup, Samoa Joe against Bobby Lashley. I think these two faced off against Bound, Bound for Glory, I think it may be 09, um, during Bobby Lashley's brief stint with the company before he parted ways with them in early 2010. But same thing with the Aries and King matchup. No one gives two craps as far as who goes over. It could be a good matchup. Bobby Lashley is not the greatest Mike guy or the in-ring guy for that matter, but... Given the right opponent, he can go. He can flat out go. And Samoa Joe is that guy. Samoa Joe, like Austin Aries, is another guy in TNA right now who is very talented, and it's the whole freaking slogan for the entire company, that they have a talented roster, but they just don't know how to utilize them. Austin Aries, Samoa Joe, Jeff Hardy, Magnus, Kurt Angle, AJ Styles, bad influence when they were still there. They don't know how to use their roster. The booking and the creative and the promotion is so bad that no one cares and no one cares to watch. So, going back to the matchup at hand, Joe versus Lashley, like with Aries and Kenny King, it doesn't matter who goes over, but um, if I had to take a guess, if I had to flip a coin, probably Samoa Joe, if Bobby Lashley went over, whoop de doo I mean, Bobby Lashley just beat TNA World Heavyweight Champion Eric Young a few weeks ago on Impact, so to have him lose here would be strange. And I, I don't even think Bobby Lashley's won a singles match yet since he came back. He might have lost something via DQ, but via pinfall or submission, I don't think he's lost a match yet in being in TNA since he re-debuted a number of months ago. And Bobby Lashley's yet another guy that came in and at lockdown had a big push, had a big reaction from the Miami crowd, was featured on Impact a few days, you know, was featured on a few episodes of Impact here and there, disappeared completely, and then resurfaced as one of the henchmen for MVP and yet another heel authority figure stable in TNA. It's ridiculous. And how they know how they don't know how to book this guy is ridiculous. So the fact that he even came back to the company is probably regretting that now. But yeah, Samoa Joe goes over here. Mr. Anderson versus James Storm. The whole feud, and I like the idea of these two feuding, and I was hoping for a feud between these two for many years now because they're both very entertaining on the mic. And James Storm has been trying his hardest to get over as a heel since he turned a couple of months ago. But Mr. Anderson, as talented as he is, he's, he's booked a complete crap, came off as com extremely obnoxious last week on Impact, um, dressing up as a stereotypical Southern cowboy and being attacked by James Storm, so far to the fact that James Storm was portrayed as the baby face, which is probably what they weren't going for in that segment. So that was a little strange. The matchup itself should be good. Both are good workers. Like I said before, with every other matchup on the show, it doesn't matter who goes over. But if I had to take a guess, maybe James Storm, given the fact that he lost a gunner God knows how many times. So James Storm is due a win. Mr. Anderson, he's already beaten Sam Shaw a number of times. He doesn't really need to go over here. So I'll put my money on James Storm going over. So he wins. Um, What's next? Got Bully Ray versus Ethan Carter the third. Ethan Carter the third has yet to be defeated. If there's any one match on the show that has the best buildup, it's probably this one, and the, the most that I care most the, the match that I care most about because it has the most on the line. And there's not even a championship at stake. Um, Ethan Carter has been undefeated since I think when he arrived in TNA in October, bound for glory, and hasn't suffered a singles loss since in singles competition. So he could win here. I could very well see him doing so. And it would suck if he was to lose his first singles matchup to Bully Ray without any buildup. And it has been mentioned here and there, but aside from that, there really hasn't been much importance behind the Ethan Carter character or the winning streak in recent months. I mean, I know he beat Kurt Angle before he took time off, but 
even that didn't come off like a big victory, the, as big of a victory as it should have. But, um, I don't know. Bully Ray is trying to take out everyone in TNA, and after this, I could very well see him moving into a feud with MVP. So, uh, I don't know. It could very well go either way. Uh, I guess I'll have to go with Bully Ray. Uh, maybe not. I don't know. I'm really debating this right now. I guess Ethan Carter. I'll go with Ethan Carter the third, and then he gets his revenge on Ethan Carter at some point um, later down the line. I think they're probably building Dixie Carter being put through a T-ball at the New York tapings in a couple weeks at the Hammerstein Ballroom, which would be pretty awesome. I think that's the best way to write Dixie Carter off TV. As long as she doesn't continue to have a regular role on TV or turn babyface or anything like that, I'm content. But this matchup could go either way. It probably would be smart to keep EC3 undefeated for right now. But if they keep him in the Bound for Glory series, if he competes in the Bound for Glory series and contends for the championship, the undefeated streak could probably get in the way. So I would have to go with Ethan Carter winning here and then probably losing to Bully Ray at some point down the line. So I got Ethan Carter here via Dirty Tactics, maybe interference from Dixie, something like that. So yeah, EC3 goes over here. Main event time for the TNA World Heavyweight Championship. Um, MVP versus Eric Young. And the story with this matchup is that MVP suffered an injury. Uh, I think it was, maybe, I don't know if it was this past weekend. I think it was last weekend, like 10 days or so ago or something like that. So it's still up in the air in terms of MVP if he can compete at the pay-per-view. Um, as of right now, it's not looking like he will. He was walking on crutches, I think, a couple days ago at a house show from what someone said. So that's the whole problem with TNA taping all their shows at one, at one point. Because if MVP can't compete, they'll have to edit the shows and you know, completely back up what they said before of him um, not being able to compete at the pay-per-view. Look at it this way. If Raw taped all their shows, if they taped all four shows all at once um, before running the bank then they would have been playing up the fact that Daniel Bryan would possibly be at the pay-per-view, even though they already knew that he wouldn't be there. You know what I mean? So it's completely ridiculous on TNA's part that they even do that. But and I don't know how they would handle the situation. If MVP's injured, Kenny King and Bobby Lashley are already in matches, so I don't know who they would put in MVP's spot to contend for the championship. And this is supposed to be their headlining matchup. It doesn't feel like it on paper, but this is supposed to be their main event matchup, so... I don't know what they would do in the case an MVP can't compete. But I guess he could use it as a, an excuse if he was to lose. He can use it as complaining as though, you know, I was injured so I couldn't win the championship. Whatever. But um, no doubt about no doubt about it, Eric Young goes over here, successfully retains the TNA World Heavyweight Championship. Won the title two months ago. Really no point in taking the title off of him right now. MVP is the latest in a series of TNA heel authority figures. It'd be ridiculous to give him the TNA championship. I like MVP as a wrestler, just not as an authority figure, because it's the same old shit from TNA with him, Dixie Carter, Eric Bischoff, Hulk Hogan, um, whoever else has been an authority figure in TNA over the last 10 years, 12 years for that matter. But um, yeah, Eric Young goes over here, and he should go over and make the title feel worthless, an entire reign feel worthless, if he were to lose here, since this entire pay-per-view is supposed to be built around him. So Eric Young is still, still your TNA World Heavyweight Champion after this event. If I had to put my money on it, I could see the Wolves maybe in a tag match against someone. I guess Kenny King and Bobby Lashley are already in a match. The Bromance, same thing. They might be in a match maybe against the Menagerie, maybe. I'm not really sure. Um, What else could we see? Angelina Love against Gil Kim for the Knockouts Championship. I would have my money on Angelina Love. She just won the title a month ago, so no no chance in hell she loses the title this quickly. So, yeah, I got my money on Angelina Love retaining if it comes down to that. But that is Slammiversary on a nutshell. Not really looking forward to it, but it is what it is. Um, so here's hoping TNA can pull together a solid show if they um, do indeed do so. I mean, the matches, like I said before, could be very good. It's just that the fact that the buildup has been so bad, no one cares. So that's the biggest issue with TNA at the moment. But uh, that all being said, that has been the world of wrestling in a week. In the last week with Raw on Monday, TNA Slammiversary this upcoming Sunday. Really nothing much more to note aside from that. Uh, NXT last week was okay. Nothing really all that great coming out of that show. But 
We'll be back next week to talk MB or to talk Monday Night Raw, TNA Slammiversary review, all that kind of good stuff. So pretty much the same lineup for next week. I'll give my thoughts on Slammiversary Raw and everything else going into the Money in the Bank pay-per-view, the latest updates on Daniel Bryan, the Shield, Money in the Bank, and all that kind of good stuff. So looking forward to that. In terms of shameless plugs, you guys, you guys can visit my website, and that's probably where you're listening to this show right now, at nextearawrestling.weebly.com. Raw reviews are up there. Impact, main event, superstars, SmackDown, you name it, I review it. So go over there and check all my reviews there and everything else, and much, much more up on the website. Like my official Facebook page at Graham Jason Matthews. YouTube, same thing. Bleacher Report, same thing. Subscribe to the YouTube channel for exclusive content for this show. Reviews of stuff that I watch in the WWE Network and stuff like that. So check out the YouTube channel. And of course, last but not least, make sure to follow me on Twitter at Russell Rant. And uh, you can also submit some questions for my hashtag AskGSM video. If you have a question for me, wrestling related, make sure to tweet me on Twitter with the hashtag AskGSM. Um, at Russell Rant, and it can be featured in the next hashtag SDSM video that comes out every Monday on the YouTube channel. So that being said, videos of or episodes of Russell Rant Radio are uploaded every single Tuesday, so make sure to come back next week for another edition of Russell Rant Radio, like I said before, reviewing Raw and TNA Slamiversary. Thanks for listening, guys. Always appreciated. This is Graham GSM Matthews. Until next week, this is GSM signing out.